I mean, you don't need to. You can always just find a tech person and be like, yo, exactly. tell me what to get. And that's kind of like, that's kind of what I do. But then I'm like, you know what? Is this person right? And then I do some research and then I find some better stuff that's usually like equally as good, but half the cost. True. That's like, that's the big part. Well, you got to get a, if you're going to go Xbox, that shit's like what? $600 anyways. Might as well go PC and come game with me, buddy. <sighs> the thing is, if I do do a PC build, I'm still going to play on a controller. No, me too. No, mouse and keyboards for nerds, dude. We're fucking cool <laughs> that's, kids. That's, that's kind of more what I was talking about. Yeah. Like mouse and keyboard, no, like other than when you get like stunned, like dude, it's a fucking mouse. It works on it works on two axes. Like it's much easier to get your aiming down and in. Yeah, that shit's for nerds, dude. I grew up Total in the 90s. I play on a controller. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I played around a little bit with my grandson's PS5 when we were in Canada. It's pretty cool. Yeah. The, so, the controller is really cool. The PlayStation, isn't it PlayStation uh, 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 exclusive? Is the new Harry Potter coming out? Oh, I don't know. I wouldn't. Fuck Harry Potter. Okay, dude. Look, you get one Star Wars tat and you're just going to hate on Leviosa? Come on. Can't we first love off, them both? I have, first off, I have four Star Wars tattoos. Okay. I only have Secondly, one. I have none. Secondly, fuck Harry no, Potter. No, don't do that. I, I wanted to be your best friend. You can't do that, dude. I can name six fantasy series better than Harry Potter. All right, go. You can't fucking say that. I'm calling your ass out. Give me fine, six. And you fine, can't do fine. Star Wars. You can't do Star Wars. Okay, then I can do five. Okay. <laughs> all, right. all right, all right, five it is. All right, five. Hunger Games. Hunger Games is solid. Hunger Games is solid. Yeah, yeah. Dune, better. The new one? Oh, the like the book. No, no, the no, no. No, dude, you can't be a controller kid and be nerding out on oh books. We God. watch movies only. We're jocks in here. You're such a piece of shit. Okay. <laughs> all right, Fine. no fucking Dune book. You're going to say the Bible? Mm. We're not talking about books in here, dude. <laughs> Fine. I'm talking about a fantasy series as a whole. Yeah, the Blade Bible. Runner. Blade Runner. Okay. Indiana Jones. Uh, uh, I don't. It's like fantasy, but it's not, and it's not that good. All right. Okay. Then, then are we not counting James Bond? Then no, no. James Bond's about as realistic as it gets. I thought I was watching Cops when I was watching it. Special edition. <laughs> Okay, then my then I guess my fifth one would probably have to be Fast and Furious. <laughs> yeah, that counts. <laughs> That's total fantasy. You don't have Lord of the Rings? Uh, honestly, I've never really been a Lord of the Rings fan. <laughs> fan of the books, wasn't a fan of the movies. Really? Wow. The, the movies yeah, I read to me the were... Hobbit. I read The Hobbit in like the fourth grade. Yeah. So I I, I really loved that. Um, but the books, man, or the movies, like it's one of those things like, I'm just watching people walk for like six hours. Yeah, and, and then beautiful they just landscapes. Drop a ring into a giant, basically a volcano, like, and then there's just this little goblin fuck following him around. And and why couldn't he just have taken one of the one of the what are they giant out, eagle deals? giant eagle things like from the Shire to Mount Doom, toss that sucker in there, and it's all over. Dude, watch it backwards. Play the they theme. grab a ring and walk home. <laughs> Can they go jewelry shopping? In a volcano. Literally, they grab a ring and walk the fuck home. True. Like, yeah. I uh, mean, oh, and then fine. Game of Thrones. Yeah? You don't uh, like it? Game, the last couple seasons of Game, Game no, of Thrones sure, sucks I'm, so many but balls. I'm saying, yeah, I'm saying, though, it's better than... Oh. 
The Potter dude? The dude. Harry Potter? Oh no, Harry Potter is much better than dude, that. Dude, Harry Potter's so good. Maybe, just, you're I, young, I eh? Harry... How old are you? How old do you think I am? I uh, in my head because whenever I find out someone's age, they get stuck there. And so, like when I first probably found you, you're like 23. So you're probably like 24 in my brain. I know you're not. I'm 24. No, you're no, not. I'm That's oh, yeah. so dumb. Uh, so Harry Potter came out when like I was in fourth grade. No, I know it came out when I was in shitting the movie yourself. Came out. I think the first movie came out in '99. That sounds right. Yeah. So I was like 10. Yeah. Yeah, the first movie came out in '99. It it got it got a second release because it was initially called The Philosopher's Stone, but they made that the UK version. So in the UK, it's called The Philosopher's Stone. In the United States, it's called The Sorcerer's Stone. Interesting. Yeah, you're a wealth yeah, of knowledge, huh? I knew that. I'm I didn't what? know that. You're a wealth of knowledge. Oh, dude, just useless shit. Just fifty percent <laughs> facts most of the time. Yeah, that's me, dude. But but who knows? We end up on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, and I'm fucking calling you, bro. <laughs> Dude, that's a good bet. <laughs> Seriously, dude, you want to do some fucking trivia? You want to have an awesome game night? You want to get shit-faced while answering questions? I'm the fucking guy. Sounds like a good time. Sounds like a new podcast. Dude, it, like, I have some plans for my podcast. I'm like a year delayed now on my podcast. I had so much shit go wrong. I tried editing it myself, and then I was like, okay, I'll record straight through. But then I have all these different segments I want to do and stuff, just like, Dude, I literally want to bring my roadcaster and a headset with me to like a coffee shop yeah. and just sit down with a random person and do that a couple times a week and then just filter through the best shit and just put it into a podcast and then some, and then some other stuff on top of it. But there had so many issues. Every time I was editing, my computer crashed. I'd get real discouraged about what content I was putting out. I would, dude, I had this idea like, I got to make everything perfect all the way through all the time. And that's just not what podcasting is. That's not what anything is. No, it's really not. So Unless I, you're in Hollywood. Even then. Yeah. So yeah. I just had to, de- I, I had to detach from that idea. And plus I've just been traveling so much. And now it's, now it's like, okay, I'm just going to fucking wing it. Yeah. Get an editor. Uh, I haven't watched or listened to a single podcast I've ever done. At all, ever? No. Just the clips. Just the clips. I don't even right? li- You send them to me. I don't listen to them. I just post them. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I hate watching I myself. And then and then I you get yeah it. you get too critical. One, I just don't like the sound of my voice or the look of my face. Yep. That's my biggest thing, too. Yeah. And then two, uh, yeah, I'll be uber critical and just let it rock. Uh, my toughest experience was uh, after that other show ended, I started doing uh, Less Than Obvious. And it, I mean- it's probably a good show. I was just so critical of it that it was very, very hard for me to edit. And I would find that I wanted to rearrange the interviews yeah. into a lot more logic. I was like NPR all of a sudden. And it made it really, really hard. I, I wish I was still doing that show because there was good stuff that came out of it. But it is just really hard. Yeah. Super hard. This show is easy because I go, you know, we go back to front and front to back. And there isn't anything like if you said a word that was going to like trigger a bunch of people, I would cut it out. Which is why that, we have you here. Which is why we're live on YouTube yeah. right now. Yeah. So We're uh, here for the controversial takes. Yeah. You know, I uh, recently gotten not even i wouldn't even say into some fire but um this kid on instagram like dumped like 440 pounds on the floor from his back with kilo plates and like didn't get a spotter and all this stuff 
and I commented on it and I said, well, this is retarded. <laughs> and uh, I kind of, here's my thing, man. I gave up on that word. I gave up on that word. I gave up on trying to be politically correct on that word because if we're speaking connotation and intent, nobody uses that word in reference to elect intellectually disabled people. I don't think so, at least. Yeah. I think the slang of that word has developed in a very different way. Uh, Joe Rogan talked about it on a couple of his podcasts, too. He's like, he's done trying to be politically correct about that word because, and this is how I worded it, is like, if that's what comes to your head, if intellectually disabled people is what comes to your head when that word is used, like, that's your problem, not mine. That word has a very different social connotation, in my opinion. And really, the only people who, like, really, really hate it are always people who were just like, you know, blank social justice warriors. They're just like, they'll defend any cause of any potential, um, like, offense ever, and then they'll just fry you for it. But why is it... Of that, why is it a thing, the opposite, when you're talking about, like, people that are overweight? Like, you, calling somebody fat is rude, but fat isn't a medical term. They want you to use the medical term. Which is obese. I guess. Which is worse. Right. Like, either think, way, think, we're describing something. Fat's a spectrum. Um, obese is, is yeah, you very could, specific. You could dial down a number. Yeah. Yeah. Either way, though, it's just all... If you take BMI out of the equation, it's still yeah. I don't know. I, I I don't know where I stand on any of it really because like everyone's such a piece of shit. Uh, like the ones that are that are protecting like words, they're probably more pieces of shit than people that use whatever words you don't. You know what I mean? Like you're an angel. You're an angel, and you're gonna come after me for using one word that you dislike. Like I guarantee you're a piece. Of, like you don't tip your fucking waitresses. You aren't nice to. You don't hold doors for people. Like fuck you. You know, like Mister Altruistic. I think that the issue is that they're always fighting for somebody else, and and, yeah. and 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 they're always fighting for somebody else who hasn't asked people to fight for them in that way. Yeah. I think you know, which, yeah. which is which I'm behind. I'm behind you know protecting people that maybe can't don't have a voice, and and when you become quote unquote public figure, or you have a, a an audience. I think there's some responsibility behind it, 100 percent to lead by example and and do what you think is best, have some kind of moral guidance. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you got to be perfect. And I think intent, like Garrett said, matters way more than anything else. And then, yeah, how, how yep. the world perceives a name. Like, <clears throat> you just can't throw all these. There is a spectrum of, of, of uh, no pun intended, there is a spectrum of, uh, of, of like morality to it all. <laughs> you know, but like there is, like, like, like. The N word is like in a different league. Like that, that guy has such history Absolutely. and stuff about it. But everyone like throws all these words in the same thing. Like you can't say this, you can't say that, you can't say the N word, you can't say that. You can't like some things have one hundred percent should probably just be deleted. Uh, but other things, like I don't know, I don't know how I feel about. I don't even want to say it. You're making me nervous, scared. The R word. <laughs> no, oh my God. Scared. You fucking pussy. <laughs> I don't know about that word either. What I don't understand about the word pussy is most heterosexual men find pussy quite delightful, and we use it in a negative connotation. <laughs> yeah, but see, that's the thing. It's a very it's it, it, connotation, man. Intent. Yeah, yeah pussy is often meaning. great, I think. What do you think, Bal? And you're using it, you're calling me something negative. You know, fair enough. That's good, right? Fair enough, but um, yeah, no, like I think I read a post once from a woman who had a um a son who was born Down syndrome. I mean, you can only be born Down syndrome, you know, you can't right. acquire it. But um, she had a son who was Down syndrome, and she made a whole post about the R word and about how 
you know, it only, it only bothers her when somebody says it and then they, they go and they look at her and like, Oh God, did I just offend her? And it's like, yeah, yeah. Oh, like what do you think her kids are retard? Like, like that's what, that's what comes to your head. So I think that like, again, an intent and when you use it and where you use it, just like all language is what is the, is the big difference maker there in, in my opinion. Yeah, the anti-argument to that, and I don't necessarily agree, is that people uh, think you're you're a bad person if you speak differently depending on who you're around. But that in modern day society is just so stupid. Like if I'm giving a presentation, I got a button up on. I'm not saying fuck, uh, but right. I'm here in my hoodie in, in my office. I'm gonna say fuck to anybody that's listening. You know, I've I've been in big meetings where I've said fuck as well. Yeah. Uh, but you know what I mean? Like if I'm presenting at a university or there's kids or I've, I've, I've talked at basketball camps with like f- f- fifth graders and stuff, I'm not going to say that word. Yeah. But yeah, I think under, I think understanding where you can use language is a, is a kind of integral part of like human competency. You know, I think, I think, you know, in like understanding language to a degree where you have to kind of manipulate your language based on who you're with, I think is a skill. I think, I don't think it's the other way around. I don't talk. I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of a different case. I kind of talk the same way to everybody, but for the most part, like the things that I talk about amongst friends um, versus what I'm talking about on a public platform like this, or even the words that I use, my actual diction, like it differs. And it, and it all, and I think for most people, it should differ that, that to me makes the most sense. So, you always impressed me as a very smart guy. What the hell is your background? Like, what you just like grow up a smart kid and you're still a smart kid, or is there or what happened? What happened? I to mean, you? who I hurt you that, with uh, who hurt you with knowledge? <laughs> can't be that smart, um, dude, if he doesn't like Leviosa. Well, he doesn't understand <laughs> wizardry. Well, um, first and foremost, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Um, I guess if we're going to, if I'm going to speak off of like experience and what people have said to me versus what I actually think of myself. Um, yeah, I, I excelled in school in a very different way than typical kids. So like in the classroom, I was always very far ahead of of the other students as far as understanding, uh, and applying what we were learning. And I was always way ahead, but because of that, and I was in public schools my whole life because of that, I never did homework. I didn't pay attention all that much. You know, I graduated high school with a 2.2 GPA, but I had an average test score of like a 97%. They allowed me to, to take essentially something similar to, um, basically like a heightened version of a GED test to test into an honors diploma Hmm. when I moved schools my senior year, because I come in, I had every credit I needed to graduate outside of this school's uh, couple prerequisites. I had to take a couple of their prerequisite freshman classes because I moved states my senior year. And um, like this, this school was like so confused. They were just like, how do you have all of these credits? I did get pretty lucky and spent most of, um, you know, between essentially sixth grade and 11th grade in a, in a really awesome school system. But like my teacher's, kind of always said the same thing. You know, I actually got screamed at in the sixth grade by my English teacher, Mrs. Niemeyer. You know, I always thought this woman was very harsh to me and very mean, but it was quite the opposite. She cared a lot, but she screamed at me one day because I didn't do my homework. I was copying off a girl in the class just to have it done. And, um, the girl told on me (laughs) and what a snitch dude. 
I know. Yeah. Snitches she, get stitches but, in my school. <laughs> Mrs. Niemeyer called me into the other room and she sits me down and um, she starts yelling at me and screaming at me. And she says like, you could be the valedictorian of this class if you wanted to, but you don't give a fuck. That's exactly what she said. <laughs> and at that moment, I thought I was going to have, like, I really did for like the next year, think I was going to have like this big change and like start doing my work. And I just didn't. I, I just, I never, I, I almost never, I only ever did my writing assignments because I used to like to write and I did my math homework. And that was really it because I love, I love math. And um, so as far as background goes, you know, as far as education goes, I only have a high school diploma. I never went to college. I never intended on taking that route. But ultimately, I'm pretty blessed with having like a near eidetic memory. So if I read something, I almost never forget it. Um, and I have a very kind of mechanical mind. So I'm, I, it's very easy to apply some concepts that I learn. Um, and then running off of that, like to me, information about any topic um, if it, if it interests me, like it, it, it beyond interests me, you know, if I, if it sparks an interest, it sparks a fascination. And so I will go through, I mean, I do Wikipedia dives like <laughs> every day and I'll, and I do YouTube dives all the time. And I just, I learn and acquire knowledge and most of it stays. Um, you know, you guys know that feeling you get when you like unlock a memory, you know, you're like, Oh, yeah. I get that with like, I get that frequently with, with just random information. And uh, I like having it because y you wouldn't think this, but the most random of things can be so applicable in, in scenarios in your work life, in your personal life, in your social life. And I, I just did a really good job holding on to all of that. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it has as much to do with necessarily being intelligent as it does with being um, competent and aware. Um, you know, my, my awareness, my situational awareness, my self-awareness is, it's pretty through the roof. That's like the, I think that's a big separator. And I'm one of these people who like I could do, I may not be able to do the same job as you, as well as you do it, but I could do like the same job as just about anybody to a pretty, a pretty decent degree, you know, kind of a jack of all trades, master of none type of brain. Um, I don't necessarily think. I'm an intelligent person, but I do think I'm a, a competent person with a, with a wild memory. And I think that's really what it comes down to. You know, the rest of that phrase, uh, uh, master of none. Yeah. It's a jack of all trades, master of none, but I forget the rest. Better than a master of one. Better than a master of one. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's what it is. Yeah, I, I, wonder, I, I, wonder, I feel you on that point because I've always kind of been the person who could do everything and never really thought that that was – I didn't value it uh, the way I should have over the course of my life, but I also think that a lot of people didn't value it of me either because I wasn't the you know the one expert on, on one particular thing. Right. Have any of yeah. your uh, obsessions or wiki dives or anything led to something that you want to super follow through in? Like, obviously, you're highly involved in powerlifting and strength sports and coaching and now organizing and commentating and, and a lot of things, uh, kind of communication and strength-based. Um, but has any other deep dive, like, just taking you like, man, I'm going to be a fucking woodworker for, for the rest of my life? Um, yeah, so I did used to build furniture and do upholstery. I did that for about five years. Um, and I can... When it comes to something with wood, I can build almost anything. I'm awful at welding because I don't have a steady hand. 
Um, but when it comes to who would have thunk, wood, dude? Who would have thunk with your energy levels? The steady hand is just not not quite surgeon yeah, levels. Yeah. Um, and I've never really had an interest in most things that are like art based um, outside of like acting and stand up comedy. I would say the other the other thing that is a big deep dive that I've you know my kind of um, more outstanding interests. Um, some are history based. Like part of me has always wanted to teach history, but you know, just with the way society is now, like that's not something that really interests me as much. Um, but stand up comedy is the big one. I mean, I legit dissect stand up, and I've done a master class on stand up with John Apatow, and I've learned so much there. And just like, I guess the kind of the mechanics of it from the the actual performer standpoint all the way to the um, you know the actual audience. Like there's just so much more that goes into that than people would ever think. Um, timing, tone, body language, um, you know, and timing being the biggest one. Timing splits off into so many little subgroups. Uh, I think stand-up comedy is the is the big one. Um, so I'm actually doing my first open mic night uh, here in a couple of weeks. That's I'm six. pretty nervous. Pretty nervous about it. Um, I've been I've been writing down so much for years, and I have so many stories. Like, you know, I'm I'm kind of like I'm a really good storyteller. I think that's that's one quality I have. I'm very good at telling a story, um, and remembering like smaller details, intimate details, nuances to how these things took place. And I'm I'm able to verbalize that very well. And and generally speaking, that's a good attribute to have if you're going into stand-up comedy so i don't necessarily think i'll be successful in that in that field but i think it'll be something i heavily enjoy and it'll be a nice kind of um um outlet to have outside of powerlifting you know powerlifting used to be the outlet but now you know between consulting and organizing and commentating and competing and training and you know, coaching, like my entire life is powerlifting. I mean, literally I have, you know, five to six different revenue streams at any given point within powerlifting. And, um, I'm pretty much working in some regard nearly every day of the week. And I, you know, this in 2021 count counting two day events as two separate events. I did like 30 something meets this year. And, you know, all over the country, California, Florida, um, North Dakota, Indiana, Ohio, Illinois, um, Texas, like, I mean, just everywhere, um, you know, and it, it, for me, it'll be really nice to have a new outlet, a new, a creative outlet. Um, you know, I put, I've put a lot of work into this sport and I'm kind of like really changing um, and I do take pride in this. I'm really changing the way meet directors, athletes, and spectators are approaching the sport as a whole. But, you know, it's now become all work. You know, the, it's not that the passion is dying. It's just that the passion is shifting. Yeah, so my, my I, hot take, uh, I don't know if I've talked to Jim about it. The only person that definitely agrees with me is Bart Kwan, agrees a billion percent. Like that stupid saying, like, uh, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your oh, life. We've definitely talked about yeah, that. Yeah, it's just dog bullshit. Yeah, it's just dog shit. You can love powerlifting. You can have passion. But, like, you're not going to just get paid just to deadlift. 
Like if right. you just like to deadlift, like even Jamal, who's the best deadlifter on the fucking planet, he never if he doesn't post on Instagram, if he doesn't coach, if you got to do something, and you may not right. enjoy the things around there. Um, you can, yeah, and that goes for anything. Stand up comedy. If you if you're the funniest fuck on the planet, but you don't book shows, you don't get a manager, you don't mm-hmm. get a tour, you don't brand, you don't market, you don't get sponsorships, mm-hmm. you don't do a podcast. Joe Rogan ain't paid. Like you're not getting paid anywhere. Like you have right. to do things around it to actually make money. And chances are, I guess hypothetically, if you love every, if you love talking to a lawyer on the phone and you love doing taxes and you love doing comedy, maybe you could not work a day in your life. But chances are, you're going to come across something that's not fun. Yeah. Right. I, I, and 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 even on. if it is something that is fun. Within time, you do something enough. There, there's a degree of monotony that gets attached to that thing. And nobody likes monotony. Yeah, I think that um, for me personally, having done so much powerlifting content for so many years, it's just really hard to think about how to do it now. <clears throat> it would it would need to be reinvent, reinvented. Like we don't we don't even do the same podcast we started doing at the end of 2018 anymore because we have to keep we have to keep pushing forward. We have to keep it making it interesting for people and people always want to like oh why don't you do this kind of thing anymore and it's like well i could but i'm not as interested in it as i was before and so i'm not bringing the same energy to it and And particularly in fitness like things don't really evolve like like a deadlift's been a deadlift yeah it gets a little heavier a little stronger maybe there's some science that maybe comes out of some small tweaks we could do to our programming methodologies every three years but it's not really changing. Yeah. Where like if no. you even in sports, like if you if you if you're an NBA commentator, there's trades. Like at least things are fresh, and the content is created for you. Shit changes every week. Like that doesn't really happen in fitness. It's, it's a it, which is the beauty in it, yeah. the simplicity and the basics. Uh, but talk about monotony, like the definition of it. Yeah, for sure. I have yeah. some friends that do stand up here, and then um, I have a friend in in Connecticut who does stand up, and he actually is on a he has a podcast with Lisa Lampanelli. We actually had them on the show May last year. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that's a fun show. I would I would give that a listen because it's like two guys who are trying to to you know make a name in stand up, and they're being mentored by Lisa Lampanelli, who is you know hysterical and profane like like profane beyond what most people can manage most of oh, the time oh yeah lisa lisa lampanelli is a fucking killer man yeah i got two two comedy questions then uh <clears throat> one have you ever been on stage obviously you've you know done podcasts and talked in front of an audience at a powerlifting meet have you ever been on, like performed on stage and then two now you got to give us like a top three or top five uh favorite stand-ups so, um, being on stage, my, uh, I did some singing in middle school, oh. um, and, um, did pretty well before my voice really, really changed. Uh, and then I didn't really sing through that. That's like, that's kind of a phrase they have for boys, for men is like singing through puberty. And I didn't really do that. So I kind of lost that and I've, I've had some ear issues. So I developed like tone problems. So I don't really sing anymore. Um, but my senior year of high school, um, I had always wanted to do stage theater. I always loved it. I loved going. It's like one of my favorite things to experience. And um, so my senior year of high school, I got the lead role in our our fall production and our spring musical. And I absolutely loved it. And I killed it. Like kind of, kind of both shows. I was like, you know, this was a general consensus. This isn't my opinion. This was a general consensus from my fellow castmates in the audience and whatnot. I was like, I was kind of the standout both times. 
you know, um, actually my first show, I had the most lines in the entire show and I was the only, <laughs> I was the only cast member who didn't have a mic <laughs> because I projected so well and I was so loud, so consistently, I, they didn't want to put a lavalier on me. Uh, and then my, the spring musical, you may have heard of this, um, Jim, you probably have heard of this because I know you definitely know Carol Burnett. Mike, you may. I'm um, uncultured, Car- dude, and you called it. You're right. Yeah. Uh, Carol <laughs> Burnett did quite a few uh, stage productions and movies back in the day outside of her show. Uh-huh. And one of them, actually both of the shows we did were Carol Burnett. When they were brought to television, they were both Carol or, or, or the silver screen. Um, they were both Carol Burnett shows. But the second one was called uh, Once Upon a Mattress. Oh, yeah. It's, I've uh, heard of that. It's a, it's, a, it's a satirical take of the the old like uh, Princess and the Pea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a character in it called King Sextimus. That name is very deliberate. Right. Right. He's, an, he's essentially an old, mute pervert. And so the entire role is pantomimed. And it's not, and like, and it is very hard to, like, I'm doing entire songs with pantomimed dialogue. <laughs> I'm doing entire, entire scenes with pantomimed dialogue. And um, it was a really, it, um, my theater director literally like said, it, it, as far as high school production goes, um, just because of the lack of experience, it's, it's one of the hardest roles in stage theater. And uh, dude, I fucking murdered it. I know I murdered it. It was awesome. <laughs> uh, and then as for my top five stand-up comedians, um, I'll tell you my top one, and then the next four are like um, in no particular order. Yeah, so my fair. favorite stand-up comedian is absolutely, and has been for almost 10 years, Tom Segura. I discovered Tom Segura on Pandora about 10 years ago. Because um, Pandora does like a, there's a comedy one and they just play bits, so three to five minute bits, and I fell in love with Tom Segura's style. Um, after that, um, I would say, I would say Eddie Murphy, um, Bob Saget, um, R.I.P. R.I.P. Um, Eddie Murphy, Bob Saget, Bill Burr, uh, and. I would say um, probably Dave Chappelle. And I know some of those are pretty basic, like between Burr, Eddie Murphy, and, yeah, and Chappelle. But if they're good, they're fucking good, dude. If your they're, favorite basketball yeah. player is Michael Jordan, shut the fuck up, you know? like Right, yeah. Yeah, and, it's kind of hard. If, if, if there was anybody who, like the way I do things closely resembles, um, as far as style, it's probably more like Burr. As far as my actual, the type of comedy and direction I have in that, it's, I kind of try to emulate a little more of Saget and Segura. Um, so, and, you know, ultimately finding my own style is like going to be the most ideal thing for me to do. And that is kind of already what I am. Um, but like, you know, having an inspiration more so than necessarily emulating a person. Um, sure. those are kind of my, my inspirations for, for how I want to be, um, on stage. So, you know, the biggest thing that freaks me out about it is all, <laughs> all comedians say the same thing you will bomb and you have to bomb. And that freaks me out. <laughs> and, and I, cause I know it's going to happen. And, uh, you know, every time I've ever been on stage thus far, it's been a, a highly successful thing. So the first time I'm on stage and it's not, man, that's going to kill me. That is absolutely going to kill me. 
So uh, there's so many. I haven't done stand up comedy, but I've been on stage more times than I can count for acting, singing, orchestra, etc., band playing, uh, and then seminars for the last ten years. And the truth is, I assume comedy, stand up comedy, is very similar. Where sometimes it is the room. Sometimes it ain't your fault. Yeah, like you right. could be fucking killing, and the, the 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 you maybe have a dumb room. Maybe everyone's just stupid and can't pick your shit up. Or I've done like powerlifting seminars, and I know like my info's killing it. Like I obviously try to joke and have a good time. I know I'm killing it, and then everyone's just kind of like snoring out there. Mm. Like you guys are just you're just here for the free pizza afterwards. Like this isn't on me right now. You know it still hurts. It doesn't feel good, but I think that's just part of the process and anything. It's like a deadlift day too, right? Like you could say the same thing to any powerlifter. Hey man, one day you're going to show up and 80% is going to be real fucking heavy. <laughs> like you think yeah. you're a fucking beast and you're not going to be able to pull 405 very fast. So get right. used to it, you know? I did uh, yeah. improv for a couple of years before the pandemic and the comedy theater that I was um, doing this stuff at had a big stand-up um, competition <clears throat> and I went and watched like a big chunk of it and then they brought back like the top 10 for the for the next show before they you know as the final and uh it was earlier in the day and for whatever reason nobody was nearly as funny yeah the second day and their you know, their their sets were pretty much the same as as the night before their delivery was pretty similar but the the crowd was just not there for it in the same way and like i like to laugh loud and and clap loud and stuff to sort of encourage people a couple times i've been like in in audience for tv shows and stuff and i can tell when i if i listen back i can i can tell my clapping you know yeah, yeah. from other people's and stuff so you try to be encouraging but there's like almost nothing you can do yeah it's energy it's yeah. vibrations yeah um I've like heard uh, a couple guys talk about it and like, you know, uh, mainly Joe and Bill and Tom, those are like the three I listen to the most just because they've, they're also like legit kind of pioneers for modern standup comedy um, or, or and how comedy is going to develop over the next 20 years. And they're all like, we could do the exact same set in a different city with a different demographic and it just doesn't go at all. And the night before, you know, I, I was in, you know, Tampa or whatever, and it, it fucking slayed. Yeah. And so, like, I think to me, you know, if I ever do something like that, you know, beyond just like little open mic nights and improv, because I want to do improv, too, because most of my good shit is off the cuff. And, um, you know, so I want to do something like that. But um, that's I think that's the biggest thing for me. That's going to be like the hardest hump to get over is like I think the first time something doesn't work it's going to, it's going to be really hard for me not to just like scrap it, you know? And yeah, so yeah. it's, it's, it, it's the, it's that R and D process of bits. And, uh, I think that's going to be, that's going to, I think that for me is going to be the toughest part. I think the thing about improv that people, um, maybe don't get is that I found improv honestly pretty easy and never really was all that, um, nervous going on stage cause you're not going on by yourself. Right. And so if you get in the weeds, somebody can hopefully pull you out. If you're good with, if you're with good people, they'll absolutely pull you out, pull you in another direction, give you something else to do in the scene. Whereas with stand up, it is, it's hard. You you have, a, have to have a whole like Swiss army knife of ways yeah. to get yourself out of the hole. Yeah. And, and that's the beauty of, of, of starting is when you start, you know, you, you only start with three to five minutes. 
You right. know, when, when you're talking an entire special, that's a whole different story, man. I can't imagine sitting down and writing out a 90 minute special like that wow. is insane. And the entire flow to that has to be different. You know, you can't open up with your best stuff. You got to save it, but you have to keep people engaged. And there's just, there's so many things to worry about when you get to that level. But I have a lot of time, you know, before I get there, if I ever get there. And, uh, you know, the second to that, man. I've been learning a lot about, you know, when people are, are setting up their kind of bit, they do, you know, they do a little like, um, just like a setup into it and they kind of flow into it. And then they'll find out that, you know, the, the, the pre punchline bidding is what it's killing. And then no one gets the punchline. So there's a lot of factors to consider. Really. Ultimately, I'm just like a very anxious person. So like, I'm like, I, I, I want to get it right so bad. I want to do it right the first time so bad. And it's like, I just got to kind of throw that out the window and just, just try to own it, you know? Yeah, it seems like a, definitely a professional hobby, a, a, an art form that you just have to do a shit ton of. Like, there's no yeah. way about it. You know, there's literally, even even if you're the funniest dude ever and you can make, you know, a table of 20 people laugh at dinner, like, it's just not it until you're on stage probably five times a week for years, Yeah, which is I, cool. I've practiced so much in social situations. People don't know that, but I have practiced so much and I haven't, I'm not that I'm necessarily a funny person, but I've practiced so much and usually it works, but there's different elements to consider. A lot of these people know me personally. They know how I speak. They've kind of adapted to that style. So it's one of those things where, you know, uh, and I'm in, I'm in St. Louis and and so my first open mic night will be in St. Louis. So it's definitely going to be a type of demographic I'm not as used to. Uh, and, you know, it's not my friends. It's not people who know me. So, yeah, like I, even talking about it, like I'm getting butterflies in my stomach. <laughs> I'm getting nervous, man. So how did you I hate the, I hate this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So how did you encounter powerlifting? And because and, you you have dived deep, it seems to me into the whole thing um how did that happen and and why and 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 what sustains you in it um so yeah obviously the the interest peaked first as a lifter um i was i talked about this a little bit on another podcast so i'll spare some details but i was addicted to drugs at a pretty young age i'm one of 17 kids um you know i have a very packed household there was a a pretty big lack of supervision you grow up up with 17 all in the same house I mean, the most kids we ever had in the house at once because there's age disparities is 14. Yeah. Oh, so, but, that's a lot. But there was never a time in my life where there weren't at least five of us kids in a house. At least. Um, so Where do you sit? Uh, where do you sit in the numbers? Are you youngish, oldish? Middle. Dead middle? I sit right in the middle. And the majority of my older siblings are boys and the majority of my younger siblings are girls. Um, so I just lived a pretty unsupervised life and I was also the middle child and my whole family smokes and, uh, cigarettes. So I started smoking really young. I started smoking at 10 years old, hence the like borderline stoma in my voice. And, um, uh, that just kept kind of rolling by 11. I was like smoking weed and smoking K2 by 12. I was using pills by 13. I was using heroin and it just kind of steamrolled that way. And so I, I just dug myself into a, a kind of a hole. And honestly, I kind of left that 
um, more out of vanity than anything. I like literally looked in a mirror and it was like, I hadn't seen myself in two years and I never had great body image issues anyway. You know, all of my older brothers were significantly more athletic than I, they were, I was the smallest one in my family for a long time. I was the smallest one in my school for a long time. Um, you know, between eighth grade and freshman year, just that summer, I got nine inches taller. You know, I, I, it was, it was crazy. Um, so, you know, one day I literally just like, you know, partying, doing drugs. I get sick cause I did too much. You know, I a minor overdose and I went and like, literally like just woke up, washed off, um, looked in the mirror and like my skin was like not cleared. It was like kind of discolored and you could see my ribs and I had no muscle definition on my body and I was very soft and you know, I'd, I'd left sports and I, I had, you know, whatever. And, um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to stop using drugs and then I'm going to join the football team. <laughs> and, um, so going through the withdrawal process was fucking brutal cause I didn't do it medically. So it lasted longer and the withdrawals were very hard and I kept it to myself and, you know, I didn't have any help in during that time on my own accord. It's not that nobody would help me. It was just my own accord. I was, a, you know, I am like kind of a stubborn person in that degree. And so after I got clean, I went to 2 a.m. football practices and I was like, this is not what I want to do. <laughs> and I knew what I liked about it. And so, um, I got, I did my first, I started my first powerlifting program as the first part of my session when I was about 16 years old. It wasn't, how'd old, you even find that? Just through through football practice, like the meatheads on the team. How did you even know what no, powerlifting was? I, I, well, I had always I've actually been a fan of um, specifically two people um, since I was about twelve years old. And it was Dan Green and Ryan Canelli. If you guys remember Ryan Canelli, of course, um, be, because there's this crazy badass video of him bench pressing like ten sixty, and his eyes start to bleed, and, I, and that was so cool to me. And, uh, and multiply was the actual first interest. So at the time, there was like one program developed for raw powerlifters, and it was actually a TSA program. Um, you know, Bryce Lewis and those guys, and this was this was two thousand and thirteen, um, and. So I, I find this program and I just start doing it. But the way I, I split my sessions then is I do this powerlifting work and then I would do um, bodybuilding accessories and then I would do Olympic weightlifting and CrossFit and then I would do calisthenics. That was every session for like three and a half years, <laughs> every single five times a week. I'm tired um, thinking about that. Yeah. So I got like, you know, obviously I hurt myself a bunch, like a lot, <laughs> like way more than I should have. Um, and... Um, I did a couple of like local high school stuff, like just like really small charity events at gyms. And, you know, before I did my first sanctioned powerlifting me, I had probably done, you know, 10 smaller unsanctioned events. I never even recorded any of them. You know, I have none of that. And, um, I did my first event in 2000, my first sanctioned event in like 2016. So about six years ago. And, um, you know, the following year, that summer, I became a referee and got on board with a crew in Indiana and started going them with all their, to all their meets and helping set up and, and whatever. And then, um, you know, it just kept steamrolling. I, I, I also love the sport as a spectator, which I know is not common. Um, 
And so even we don't like to watch it, to be honest. Yeah. So <laughs> I would, you know, I like literally one year I like uh, awesome bosses four. I just flew there to go watch the meet. And that was one of the coolest experiences of my life because I had just kind of started getting on podcasts and stuff. And I did one podcast where I just like, I was so excited. I just overshared about my life <laughs> and, uh, uh, like a lot. And, um, <clears throat> I'm at this meet, you know, I'm sitting in the back. It's the amateur day of boss of bosses. I'm just watching the lifters and Dan's wife sparkle, um, goes, Hey, like I can hear her, but I knew what she was talking about. She's like, Hey, Hey, Garrett. And I turn around. I'm like, what the fuck? And she's like, you really got 16 siblings? <laughs> oh no. She, she said, she, she said, she said, well, actually, well, I'm sorry. What she really said was how many brothers and sisters you got? And I like laughed and I was like, 16, like, why do you know that? But when I said 16, she turned around and looked at Dan and Dan goes, told you. And, uh, <laughs> Dan like kind of comes over. This is just after they had the twins and he kind of like walks over to me, walk, rocking the twins. And he just was like very casually, very quietly. He's like, you know, I, uh, I hate podcasts, but I listen to every podcast you're on. <laughs> and I was like, Dude, my, I'm a, I, dude, I didn't know what to do. I just, dude, I read about Dan Green and men's health and fitness for fuck's sake, you know? <laughs> I have I have pictures on my Instagram from 2014 of a picture of me sumo deadlifting side by side with Dan Green sumo deadlifting. <laughs> a little dream and board. Like, oh yeah, and I was just like, this is like, I, and and then dude, he took me out that night. He got me dinner. I got, like you know, it was crazy. Um, and then, you know, I did the Kern one year. I was the youngest competitor at the 2018 Kern. And then every year after that, Gracie had me on in some sort of, you know, um, like facilitative capacity. You know, one year I just helped her set up the meet and run the meet. Another year I commentated another, you know, just always doing something. And then I became a meet director, like officially a meet director. I did a couple of meets, you know, they went super well. And just like I started coaching when I was 16 and I coached for free till I was, I begged people to let me coach them. And I coached for free till I was about 20 years old. And then, you know, now it's my full-time job and, you know, it just, things kept steamrolling. And I just, you know, was fortunate enough to not have the arrogance to try to do everything alone. You know, when it came to the event stuff, I was like, okay, this person's amazing. This person's amazing. This person's amazing. I'm going to have all of them here. And we're going to make the best event, regardless of Fed, regardless of these things. And that's how it works. And it's all worked. And so, you know, um, I don't know if you guys have checked it out at all, but, you know, check out the, the live stream we just did for the hybrid showdown four. you have not seen a live stream like this in powerlifting ever. Uh, it, I mean, it, it's stacked, it's stacked to the roof, dude, lifter data, multiple videographers, still cameras, uh, running, scoring commercials, ad space, uh, you know, uh, commentators, um, interviews, the whole thing. It's a, it's a, it like my objective when I started this sport was to make it a sport, you know, and, uh, it's what we've been missing. We've been missing that the legitimacy. And so that is really what keeps me going in the sport. You know, I've had to kind of take a back seat as a lifter a little bit, you know, um, I kind of, I didn't burn myself out, you know, but I made some poor decisions early on in my untested career and pushed some things too hard. Hey, this is and a very PC answer, dude. What the hell are you trying to tell me? 
and <laughs> no, 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 uh, and and push some things too hard, and you know, after a while, it's like, damn, like I have to really take a back seat. I have to take a couple years to be not as strong, just to build that back up. So, as of recent, the kind of fire to be a lifter has sparked again, um, and you know, I have some really big goals for my next contest, and you know, I'm really excited about those things. Um, but ultimately, the objective is to just kind of be the main catalyst in making this sport a real sport. And um, as of now, you know, there, and there was a lot of contributors to the visibility that the sport has. Um, but as far as legitimizing it, you know, it's, it's just really me and then, you know, a group of people who do a good job and just kind of all of us coming together and trying to provide that for people. You know, we want the sport to be legitimate, the thing that's missing is making it a spectatable sport. And yeah, that's hard without a lot of editing and stuff, right? I mean, even strongman on TV has edited the fuck out of it. That's why it's not live. Like, right. And that's exactly why you should check out the live stream. We just did. I mean, no, I watched, I watched. Yeah. You don't have to watch too much, but like, you know, no, watch the whole goddamn thing, Garrett. I watched to support (laughs) you, buddy. Watch, watch a couple lifts, listen to the commentators, watch when they do interviews, and, you know, watch some of the ad space and you'll see, like, it, it's a very well thought out thing. And we're working on adding even more stuff in the future. You know, we want to start making, um, you know, stats a little more efficient. You know, like, you know, you go and watch a, you know, my model of how I want to be, you know, if you think of individual sports, the only individual sport that comes to your mind 99% of the time is MMA and combat sports, you know? And so that's kind of the mold we have to follow. We just don't have the, as exciting of a thing to watch. Yeah. So, you know, um, it's, you know, doing more interviews, listing more stats, making it more ingestible. And, you know, with that, you know, we'll never be, we'll never be a UFC, but we can follow that path and marginally have some of the same successes and some of the same visibility that, you know, something like that has. And, um, it's been, you know, I've been pretty active in the sport for, you know, a little under a decade now. And being as young as I am, I have this kind of opportunity to, you know, pick up on the mistakes of, of, of past people. And, and, and again, I'm pretty blessed with this kind of lack of ignorance where I'm willing to, you know, change things and alter things if that's what's ultimately the best thing to do. And, um, and that's really that's that's the main fuel is just knowing I can I can be a, a big working part in in making it a sport where a lifter can live off of it. You know, there's a few people doing it now, you know, John Hack, Yuri Belkin, Jamal a little bit, you know, and these people really are starting to make a living. But the only way they're making a living is by winning X meet. So, you know, the objective is establishing a system where over time, you know, it's going to not going to start with a lot of stuff, but over time we can work out a way to make legitimate salaries and bonuses inside the sport. And obviously that's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a 20 year thing. And most people just don't have that vision. And, you know, fortunately enough, I do. And, uh, I feel like you never know though, you know, like five years ago, six years ago, strongman and, and CrossFit weren't, weren't full-time gigs either um but this last weekend in miami same thing wadapalooza number one person got a hundred thousand um, dollars right. you know six years ago uh wadapalooza they, they won like 5k 
10K, you know, so things can escalate quickly. It, it, it is an uphill battle with powerlifting because visually um, it's just not as dynamic, like literally exactly. that's the, by definition. Um, but it, yeah, I, I agree with you. A lot of things are possible. Uh, it just takes uh, a community, which which it sounds like you're, well, I know for a fact you're deep into, uh, and it sounds like you're building a team around you, which is huge. That's kind of, your, your story is a little similar to mine in that like, I didn't see it from the meat production standpoint. I saw it from the sort of interpersonal drama standpoint. And and reality shows were huge at the point that I got into powerlifting. Is like, I think there needs to be a powerlifting reality show. And like, got close a few times. And really, what it came down to was, uh, where's the control? Like, who right. who controls what what content goes forward? And then YouTube exploded, and and the closest that we get now really is like vlogs and stuff. Yeah. And not you know, I don't know that there's anything anything else that that um, has worked in that regard. No, but it played a big role in growing the sport too. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. You know, looking looking back on the the uh, you know the power cast years and and you know people like Max Tuning. Who yeah. and and Westside Barbell, you know, they were yeah. really Johnny good Candido. For, there's tons of names. Yeah, they were really yeah. good for that initial visibility, and now we have superstars. Legitimately, Russell Ori yeah. is a, like a legitimate yeah. fitness superstar who only powerlifts, and that is that that is crazy to conceptualize. I just saw a YouTube ad yesterday for men's hair color featuring CT Fletcher. Oh, nice blew my mind did not see it coming at all yeah i mean ct uh shit you could argue is the first uh uh powerlifting superstar yeah i think you yeah can make that no argument. absolutely yeah. um i think funny. there's a couple there's a couple of guys that that could be argued on you know it's like you know we all love to say ed Cohn, but that's that's so much more niche you have to know the sport yeah. to know him where um i would even argue and i know this may be controversial for this podcast but i would even argue that somebody like mark bell was was kind of a superstar for not as much as a lifter, but just for how did the, how did that happen? Yeah, I, no, I wouldn't disagree. I mean, uh, if you're talking pure powerlifting as sport, um, the things Jim and Mark did at Super Training, uh, yeah. which is in this building, I don't know if you knew that, but the where we are in Third Street is the content station of Super Training, um, where you probably saw little little Garrett smoking a pack a day watching Dan Green sumo deadlift. Uh, the, the video was probably filmed here. Backyard um, meat of the century. Yeah, all those backyard of the meats with, with Stan and, and Dan and everything was in this oh, that facility. Backyard that backyard meat of the century is probably one of the only old meats I still watch frequently. Yeah, so that's our gym now. Um, that's Third Street. Uh, and so like all that, I, I would agree with if you talk pure niche, because even Max Tuning, and shout out to Max, I love Max as a, as a content creator, a businessman, and, and as a buddy. Um, but, you know, he like vlogged and, and ate at Chipotle all day and then did like a deadlift comp. And he's a powerlifter for sure. He's competed. Um, but if you're talking just training sessions, yeah, it was, it was early super training days for sure. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, Stan Efferdings, et cetera. Dude, I had, a, I had a life goal of getting on Mark Bell's podcast one day. It ended up being pretty, you know, not as I glorified you it. it. You didn't do it while we were there. That's, that's Well, the, you know, actually, Jim – love to tell you this you you were my favorite person on mark all right dude you you couldn't you say that for like what i wasn't no no you're now Uh, my favorite person probably ever so go on (laughs) (laughs) no truly um you know i think uh, a lot of people like to look at um uh, a face this the face you know and at Mm -hmm. the time the face was kind of 
Mike and Mark. And uh, I just all like, I just like, I could at the time, you know, again, awareness. Um, I just, like I knew that without Jim there and setting those things up and doing those things, the, the, the level of production that was established there and the professionalism to it, it wouldn't have been there. And, uh, you know, your inputs were always a, a little more well thought out and, and things like that. So actually, yeah, Jim, that's actually a true thing. This isn't a brown nosing thing, man. This is uh All right, dude. Well you'll have you on for another episode. I understand what you're trying to fucking get out of it. We uh no. I, I, I was looking the other day on my Facebook and it's like we've been Facebook friends since twenty sixteen and like without having a a lot of conversation except you know, every once in a while on Instagram, it's like, well, that's a thing. I mean that I mean I, I made a lot of friendships during that time that that had more and less amounts of 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 intera- actual interaction. Yeah, but I welcome mean, to yeah. Mark Bell's Powercast with Silent yeah. Mike and Jim McBee. That was like I lived for hearing that. I really did. That was an old uh, training partner of ours. Voice sounded fucking fake. Yeah, that fucking guy was in town this last week and did right. not come and see Where'd us. Where he move? He moved somewhere out there. He's Indiana or in, some shit. Yeah, I think he's in maybe Kansas. I don't know. I don't know. It all kind of blurs once you get past Colorado. Mr. Dick like. Lickerson. Oh, I can. Uh, I can be the new voice for you guys. EA Sports it's in the game. That's good. Yeah, we'll t- I'll take an intro. <laughs> uh, I, I saw a meme t- just today. It's like when when she's in the bedroom waiting for him to show up, and she hears EA Sports. Yeah, it's busy. in the game in the other room, so not going to happen. But yeah, I mean, I I appreciate what you're saying, and um, yeah, no, I I hear from people kind of all the time about how big a deal all that stuff was to them back then, and we know. Idea. And it wasn't really like we played around with a lot of stuff and and you know hoping that bigger, stronger, faster would make our media explode and all that shit. But it was really the podcast that pulled pulled things together. And I would never have guessed that it would do what it did. And um, it created a situation for for me and Mike when when all that ended to not want to repeat ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because we because of what we'd done, but like really, everybody wants us to repeat ourselves, and uh, and so you know it takes a mix of those things as we go forward. I Maybe think. we get a guy you know with the last name Fear to move yeah. to Northern California. Yeah, we get a third podcast host. Yeah, uh, did, and, this, and who knows where things take us? You know, did, in this did, beautiful strength world. Maybe some sexual tension. Maybe some wonderful conversation. Maybe a couple powerlifting meets. Who knows what the future holds when you head west, buddy? You, you have an open invitation to be the third host on this show. Should you decide, that but you got to move here. You got to move here, though. The yeah. the reason I am denying that invitation is because fuck California, dude. It's not what you think. You got to come to Northern California. You got to come to Northern California. I will say Northern California was definitely much better experience for me than Central California, but Central Coastal. But you know, where'd you go on the yeah. Central Coast? Did you go to like uh, Monterey or something? Let me take you on a little tour, dude. It'll change your life. <laughs> dude, I'll take it. I'll take it. No, I, I will say my favorite spot in California is San Diego. San Diego. San Diego's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I love San Diego. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's hard but, to argue. Yeah. I, you know, uh, as for a third podcast host, man, uh, you know, I, I kind of get, get talk about that every time I'm on a podcast. There's always like a, 
there's always like a weird conversation of like um, unofficial co-host. And, uh, you know, I kind of love that. So I'd much rather be that like fun surprise versus people having to hear my annoying ass fucking voice every day outside of my own podcast, you know? Or even just doing it, dude. Like we said, like, uh, you know, I, I do enjoy podcasting, but I've done it for 10 years almost. Like it, it's just like anything else. You start to fucking like, damn, I've had so many rounds of this thing uh it becomes work it really does become work regardless yeah. of of uh, how much fun or the new conversations or the new news or, or it really is just uh well this doesn't feel like work which is why we're making this offer so yeah <laughs> well too you know you have conversations with so many people and you realize how many people just there's there's nothing to them yeah, you know yeah, you're telling and, me and that has to be a killer I mean, yeah. those conversations have to be tough. It's just like the whole thing, you know, along the way, you're just forcing and forcing and forcing and still getting nothing out of it. That is what I'm, that's actually part of the reason I didn't want to do my podcast as a typical, you know, kind of the more of the, the, the kind of direction I want to go is something in kind of similar to like what Chris D'Elia does, where it's more of like kind of social commentary from me and just kind of like a practicing of bits and just like more fuck around solo and occasionally have somebody on, um, you know, my brother and I were talking about doing it together. Cause my brother has a, one of my brothers has a, just this phenomenal public personality that would just be great, but he's a fucking flake, you know, shout out Mac. I know you're going to listen to this and, uh, we did a really awesome job recording our first episode and then you never came back. So, <laughs> nice. uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things where, um, you know, Joe Rogan talked about that too, because he's like legitimately been podcasting for like 15 years or something. Like yeah. literally since like the first uh, podcast slot on iTunes opened up, you know? And, uh, you know, that's what he talked about. It was like, it's, 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 it's just years of having these conversations that a lot of the times you don't particularly enjoy. And right. uh, when, if you think of him though, compared to even what you would do in strength, like he's been in Hollywood from before his podcast. So like his guests are so curated. Mm -hmm. You just grab a random person with the big bench press. Good fucking luck. Oh yeah. He's at least dealing with like amateur comedians at the worst mm -hmm. who at least have right. some personality to, to chat with. Imagine 2011, just talking to strength folk that have never talked to a microphone in their life. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you're like, it, oh, fuck. Especially it, considering how fringe a lot of it was then. Back then, it was yeah. very fringe. It was very The characters like, are you know, different. You know, you think about Lehman, and he's like, I think about what I would do if somebody kidnapped my girlfriend. How you doing, man? You want to do a podcast with us? Like, you know, yeah. fuck, man. That was intense for just trying to have a 30-minute conversation, bro. <laughs> yeah. This is true. Yeah. This is true. Uh, to shift gears just a little bit, going back to the the live stream, I watched uh, I watched the deadlift flights. That's what I had what I had time to do. But the thing that impressed me about about um, the people I was seeing on screen is like when I was intimately involved with like being in, being at national meets and being there with lifters and helping out and filming things and whatever. Uh, everybody was, the average age was old. Like everybody was old, and and that is not what's happening now. Um, you had to, a few older lifters in this meet, but um, yeah. What, what would but, you say, Garrett? The average age of the, uh, the elite day of the hybrid was 27? 27, 28. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, what yeah. that's wild. Because yeah. I would say, even even I mean, besides the little bridges and like Pete Rubish at the backyard of the century, like even still, 
average age 30 35 yeah well and yeah. then you go to a geared powerlifting meet it was 35 and well, much older yeah dude dude the sport now is wild there it are is. dude there's a kid you got to look him up he's 17 his name is liam newell this kid is 17 years old like 170 pounds this kid's about to deadlift 800 pounds legit stiff yeah. bar drug tested like you would never know this kid's a lifter bro um, and you know, the, the, like the average age of like the really high level competitors now is like no higher than 25. Yeah, and, um, yeah. and you know, and now, you know, in 2012, 2013, when I started this dude, it was pr like, there were some people doing the kind of daily undulating stuff, but it was fringe back then. It was bands, chains, triples, speed days, dynamic day, you know, whatever. And like, now we have an, a, an approach that, you know, permitting you you know you can put your ego aside you know where you can have 20 years of, of straight competing and, and progressing through all 20 years yeah, so easily it, you know we think it's we think it right now is nuts dude t t t 10 years from now dude there's going to be 10 people who've pulled a thousand in comp there's going to be five people who you know there's going to be somebody who at some point squats 1100 pounds in sleeves there's going to be people bending that's not that far out buddy Right. That one's there's, real close. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be people who are benching, you know, 700 pounds in full power. That's happened, but it's going to be even yeah. more common. Where's dude? John Hack just benched 589 at like an RP nine in a full power meet at 205. You know, he took the he took the all time 220 record that was just broken after like 25 years. Like four months later, 15 pounds under the weight class limit. Like yeah. he, he just didn't want to finish his cut. Like literally he just texted me and he's like, Hey, if I go up to 220, am I still allowed to get prize money? I said, yes, this isn't technically a nationals event. So you can change weight classes. He goes, yeah, I don't want to finish the cut. So put me in the 220. <laughs> and then he gets the all time world record total and bench. Like yeah. he, for about 10 minutes, he held the all time world record total in three weight classes. He held, he held the, the, the full power deadlift in one, and the full power bench press in two or three. And like, oh, dude, it's so nuts. Just having, just like seeing what's happening to the sport is like, you know, the people who we saw once in a lifetime 20 years ago are now popping up every third fucking week. It blows my fucking mind. Yeah, it's just the talent pool. I mean, as the as the sport becomes yep. more popular, more people know what a deadlift is, more people know what a squat is. Uh, whether you want to say YouTube or CrossFit, it doesn't really matter. Um, but it's just more popular to have a barbell in your hands, and it's more popular. Yep. Um, you know, you're going to get guys that that played one year in the NFL and they're 20 years old, and now they want to powerlift. And guess what? They're genetically way beyond my ass. Yep. And <laughs> like then, they're going to be real strong. Dude, like I remember in 2014, Kevin Oak pulled 700 at Reebok Record Breakers, and the internet fucking broke. Dude, yeah. at 242. Yeah. Now, yeah. if you don't pull 700 at 198, like no one gives a fuck. It's yeah. so crazy, man. When I, dude, when I was 19, I... I squatted in the in the low sevens and I benched like almost four and I pulled in the mid sevens and like it was fucking insane. Now, now it's like it's like okay. I mean, there's 185 pound guys like dude Russ Russell just took yeah. 650 for five at 183 pounds on squat. You know, and his bench is finally moving. He just benched like 465. Yeah, like, man, it's yeah, it, stupid. It, it, it's it's like you know exactly what you said. People, you know, we've been talking about this for a long time. Is because of the visibility and exposure of the sport has grown, the talent the talent pool is much much bigger, and 
we're getting real athletes to do the sport, not people who burnt out in other sports in high school, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, uh, it's, it, it's, it's really altering it, man. And, um, you know, and that's the other reason I think it, it, we, the potential to become more visible in a public sphere outside of powerlifting is plausible. Um, and, you know, because ultimately that has to be the goal is making the sport digestible for the normal person. And um, there's a lot of factors that go into that, but I think it's attainable. I think an interesting thing that I've noticed lately is that, like, stories from Barbend end up on my, my Google News page. And, uh, yeah. and not necessarily because I... I chose to have powerlifting show up on my Google News page, but they, it just does yeah. for whatever follows me around, I guess. But but Our that's has gotten huge. Yeah. yeah. Shout out my boy Jake. Jake. Uh, Jake was uh, one a big piece of that a couple of years ago. Really growing that thing out. Killed it. Yeah, I think I think I mean and weightlifting. Weightlifting mirrored powerlifting and its growth and its popularity. And and we had arguably the best USA showing at the Olympics uh, in terms of numbers and medals. I think probably in sixty years. So like again, more barbells in hands. We're gonna get more freaks. We're gonna get a, ho- a little bit more, um, you know, audience. It it is an uphill battle, buddy. I believe in you and I'll support you and I'll help you. But like I've had this conversation so many times. Like powerlifters watch powerlifting. Right. And so, yeah. like, we can grow the sport through competition 100% and freaks 100%, but, like, we got to get a lot more folks powerlifting in general if we're going to grow because, like, my mom ain't watching it. Yeah. My mom may watch the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Like, they're, they're you know, she knows who Peyton Manning is. It's going to be hard. I'll, I'll tell my mom about Jamal, but she may not care. I'm sorry, buddy. Sorry, no, Jamal. But, I mean, that, that, that's the thing, though, man. 15 years ago, nobody cared about MMA. There was uh, it, d- definitely differently. Yeah, definitely differently for sure. But you, just the dynamics of the sport, and I, I don't mean to debate it by any means. Trust me, because I always come oh, out no, negative because I've been in this thing for fifteen it, years. Bro. No, because I I I, uh, I believe in you, and I trust me. Like you know, I, successful or not, I've tried to grow the sport to the best of my ability, and I've tried to be positive. I've put on meets. I've spot and loaded the the backyard meet of the centuries. All fucking eighteen of them. I've done it all. You know, I've I've coached for. 12 years obviously podcast and promoted it youtube promoted it um it is it's just difficult to get people to want to watch it it is just just purely by the foundation of the sport right uh, i noticed this last i watched in canto a couple of days ago i don't know if you've seen it the new disney uh bits and pieces okay so like everybody in this family gets a gift from with it's all enchanted whatever whatever and uh the person who gets to be strong is is a girl and the animators fought with everybody at Disney about making her actually muscular. And they managed to do it. It's like, well, kids don't care about muscles. Well, actually, they do. And they, yeah. they, they made the character look like that. And you, you, uh, it's getting a lot of very positive response from kids. And so, like, little things like that. Yeah, can help. Can help. Yeah. I mean, we well, had action stars. I, was, I went back and, uh, speaking of Bart again, I was at Bart's house watching... Um, the 90s Spider-Man cartoon Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, with his son. Taika's th- three years old and he's just obsessed with Spider-Man. So I was like, all right, well, we got to watch this 90s one. And that motherfucker is jacked. Every character in the 90s Spider-Man is jacked out of the mind. And Spider-Man, like, in particular, is known for not being jacked, yeah. right? Like, he's supposed to be a teenage fucking kid. Um, and I do think all that plays in a role in people getting in the gym or wanting to be fit. Um, but if that played such a harsh role or such a, a prominent role in Americans' minds, we wouldn't have 50% uh, obesity in America. Well, I think <laughs> well, what people like and what people are willing to watch and what they're going to do to themselves are totally different, though, I think. Uh, for sure. And you think they're going to watch 
boring powerlifting because they think a uh, Disney movie was entertaining? Uh, I don't know. Powerlifting doesn't have to be boring. The main issue in visibility is that we, we publicize the downtime in the same manner that we publicize the lifting. So you look at a powerlifting uh, meet, there's so much downtime. It's taking that downtime and finding something else to fill it with. And there's to a me, lot I think it's more the... That. Uh, to me, it's more the the monotony and the variability within a lift. Um, with the variability within a football play or a basketball play is one to a trillion, uh, based on so many factors. Right? Obviously, one being just movement of a human, um, and in powerlifting, it's not. I, I see. I mean, I disagree there, man. There are you so can't many... disagree. You can't disagree. That <laughs> right. that you can disagree. That is good to watch, but you can't disagree in the variability of a play in basketball no, and no, the no, variability no. Here, here, of a play of a deadlift. I mean. Here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. I mean, like between people doing lifts effortlessly grinding through lifts the way people squat the way people move the faces they make you just gave me two you just gave me two you gave me the way they move smoothly or the way they grind it they're gonna make or miss it but those are but like the way a lift can be grinded can happen a million ways it can be just a slow consistent thing it can be really shaky (laughs) it can be yes and and all of those things have a different level of appeal i don't think we're ever going to get to a level of especially the ufc i mean it's literally the most profitable sport in the world right now but like we're never going to get to that level but like the way i see it is like we can get to the level of something like you know cross it or something like strongman like strongman's actually kind of taking a dip right now, but like CrossFit is on this just this giant upkick, and, and it all comes down to how you're making it visible and how you're doing that. And with CrossFit, yes, there's constant action to a certain degree. Now it's a matter of just just filling that time in between with 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 the the right content, and uh, there, it's going to take a long time to figure that out. You know, ad space helped a lot, um, having people having sponsors pay for commercials. And having commentators helped a lot, but now there has to be something that there's got to be more. And that's kind of what I am currently trying to curate is just what is the more, what is the more that we put, we fill that space with to keep people involved. And powerlifting is, is, is such a consumer sport. Like, it's like, you know, everybody knows like 30, 20 year old kids who have every pair of knee sleeves, every shoe, every shirt. And like, ultimately I think what it's going to come down to is like, like not ultimately, but I think one big thing is like, you know, finding a way to get people to buy things in between, in between in this downtime and, you know, ad space is simple, but you know, we're a discount code sport, you know, we do specialized discount codes and things like that. And, you know, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of ways to make it viewable and profitable and digestible. It's just, nobody's really taken the time or the capital to do that. And, um, you know, I, it's risky. I mean, if you're, if you're a big business and and you can't guarantee views and you can't guarantee purchases, it's risky to throw down a hundred thousand dollars at any event um, without a proven track record. What I would argue, and I I don't know the root of it and I've debated it in my brain and with people is that, um, CrossFit, uh, did an amazing job of marketing in general and gathering community across the world. And there's way more people that casually CrossFit than there are casually powerlifting. And that's just that number we probably could look up. Um, but the similarities is that the only people that watch those sports are people that do those sports. CrossFit, people that go to the CrossFit games do CrossFit. You're not, you're not like, yeah, man, I golf. And here I am at the CrossFit games to watch whatever this is, right? right. You do CrossFit and similar with powerlifting. Strongman, especially because of the growth with these fucking giants of Thor and Brian Shaw and, and kind of the, the literally larger than life human beings there are, and TV, um, obviously plays a role, but people watch that not knowing what's going on. 
you you could you you could not even know like strongman is a sport, and you can watch strongman because you're seeing a giant pull a train, and you're like, oh, you know, that's something more relatable than the regular person doesn't know what 500 pounds is, right? Yeah, you know what I mean. Like that's that's the big disconnect in my head. And then yeah, visually, how do you make it? I don't know. Um, and I agree, strongman is kind of. Uh, stuttering in a sense. A lot of guys are getting injured. It's hard to build up any sport when when you don't have superstars. And that's another thing CrossFit's done really well. Um, and hopefully guys like, you know, hopefully everyone stays healthy, but if guys stay healthy long-term in powerlifting, that's kind of how you have to do it. Um, you, you have to have people long in the game so you can build a story, so you can build a history, so you can build a superstar. Uh, the NBA, the UFC is really good at it, obviously. Um, if it's not LeBron James versus Kevin Durant, no one's watching. Right. If it's if you don't build up these characters, no one cares because the, the even in those highly dynamic sports. So if we don't have that in kind of a, a slower static sport, and I know you're a chess guy, but it, it, who's watching chess? You know, like people that play chess probably. Well, we're working on some of those other things. <laughs> Stay tuned, Mike, because in a world where everybody doesn't power lift, we can make everybody love powerlifting. I hope so. I hope so. Power to you. On that note, where can people find you, man? People can find me on Instagram at not not Garrett Fear. Um, <laughs> Does someone already have the just not double negative? I, I double knotted it. I did not the first time, but then people were actually confused. They thought it was a troll <laughs> account, so I decided to go with the double negative. So you can find me on Instagram at not not Garrett Fear. Um, and coming in the next couple of months, you'll be able to find me on iTunes and Spotify, um, under the fear and other drugs podcast. Nice. Easy. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening. Be sure to check out all Garrett's stuff. He's doing great work. Um, great lifter coach, uh, and doing good things for the sport. I'm Solomon Mike. Everyone to find me brand new episode every single Wednesday. I am at the Jim McD on all the social media. This show is 50% facts, where percent is a word and 50 is just numbers. And we will be back at yet next week with a documentary. 